Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Hi everyone and welcome back to What I Wish I Knew. My name is Erica Huynh, I'm a recent graduate dentist and as of last week I've officially worked my first month out and we're still alive guys, we're still getting by. (laughs) But it feels like it's been a really long time since I've sat in front of my computer and just done a recording, just you and me. Now in case you missed it, I did do a January feature together with Hayden where I got to share a little bit more about my journey in dentistry so far and my first week working in private practice. But looking back, the last time I actually recorded a What I Wish I Knew and recorded an intro all on my own was actually in September last year and it's been crazy but I don't think I've actually had a moment to sit down and actually settle down since With finishing exams, graduation, moving out of Sydney, the Christmas holidays, moving up to Brisbane, starting work, it's just been go, go, go. And the only way I can really describe it is the physical, the mental and the social exhaustion that comes with it all. Now, don't get me wrong, it's been a lot of fun. I've been really enjoying it. I've learned so much, but it is really tiring. And when I was talking to one of my mentors, he helped put it into perspective, just like any career. At some point, your work just becomes muscle memory. But as a new grad, when all of this is so foreign, every little thing you do requires just so much thought and effort. So when you're on edge the entire day and your brain is just go, 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 go constantly, there really isn't much mental capacity to do anything else. And so I apologize if I've been a little bit slack with the podcast. A big, big thank you to Hayden and Hugh for helping carry us through. And I really am trying my absolute best to continue providing content that is hopefully valuable and beneficial to someone out there. So thank you for listening. And here we are at 7.30pm on a Wednesday night. And we're looking to release this episode out tomorrow. Now, I thought what would be a fun way of recording this is a little bit different. It's just me and you. And we're going to talk about my first month out and all the things that I wish I knew. If any of you have read Adam Kay's This Is Going To Hurt, essentially it's the logbook of the life of a junior doctor from day one as an intern all the way up to being a resident. And he documents day by day all the patients he encounters, the crazy stories, the victories, the failures, the joys and the tears. And I thought it was a really insightful, funny and sobering account of what it's like to be a new grad. Now, for the sake of patient confidentiality, I won't be going through the details of my day to day, but I have written down a whole list of things that I have learned in my first month out. And I thought I'll go through them with you guys. Now, take everything I say with a bucket and a half of salt because I by no means claim to be an expert, but these are purely the thoughts and reflections and lessons I have learned that I thought I'd personally document. And look, maybe it will speak to and help out one or two of you. But what I really hope is that for everyone that's in the same boat and questioning what they're doing, you are by no means alone and we are all going through the same teething problems. Looking back on my very first day, it's quite funny and a little endearing to think how anxious I was about the little things. Now before my very first patient, I'd had the pep talk, the induction, the orientation on how I was going to greet my patient, how I was going to welcome them and introduce myself. And yet, as soon as they walked in the front door, 
it's as though everything just went out the window. And I remember, actually remember saying to the patient, hi, my name's Erica. I'm new to the practice, but we're, yeah, so we're going to figure things out. And then just mentally face farming myself. <laughs> but that's okay. Because the next patient, I got to try it again. And the patient after, I tried it again. And after a little bit of trial and error, I think I finally got it. Hello, Mrs. Jones. My name's Dr. Erica, and I'll be looking after you today. As you've probably seen from the sign outside, I'm new to the practice, but I've been in dentistry for a number of years now. How's your day been so far? I'd like to say that's a little bit better. Our practice really stresses the importance of us introducing ourselves as Dr. So-and-so. Being young dentists, oftentimes we do look young and it can be very easy to mistake us for being an intern or being a DA. And so whenever asked, I'll always introduce myself as Dr. Erica and all our staff will address me the same way. It feels a little bit weird at first because it almost sounds too formal. It's a pair of shoes we don't quite fit in yet, but I think it's really important that we really step up to that role and earn the title. It is very much earned and well-deserved. And so we should wear it proudly. On my first day, I remember taking radiographs and really struggling to diagnose caries. Throughout dental school, oftentimes the patients that we see haven't been to the dentist in a number of years. And so any caries that they have are usually gross cavitations. They're really obvious C4, C5s that anyone can point out from a bite wing. But in private practice, depending on your patient base, it can be a little bit different. And you really have to train your eye to be able to pick up on radiolucencies that are just into dentine and differentiate between cervical burnout and the natural anatomy of the tooth. Now, do you restore? Do you not restore? It really depends, right? But it's up to you to pick up on it and decide whether to monitor, treat or leave. This is where I realized that radiographs are actually quite difficult to take. In the past, if the bite wing holder goes in and the patient's biting down, I've always thought, okay, that's good enough. But looking back now and assessing the radiographs that I take, I realize, oh, we've got a bit too much horizontal overlap there and I can't quite see those interproximals. And it's making me become a little bit more critical of my technique. Now, I'm someone that's always been very reliant on using holders to take radiographs. And whilst that ensures you never get a current cut and your positioning's usually pretty good, your angulation isn't always quite right. And so this is something that I'm really trying to get better at. By experimenting with other techniques, using bite tabs, using SnapX holders, which I'm absolutely terrible at. But as I've said to my DAs, I want to become someone that can use whatever is handed to them because we won't always necessarily have the things we're used to. But having said that, it does require practice. And this is something that I'm going to be stressing a lot throughout today's talk is just practice, practice, practice. Something as simple as a radiograph, if you're taking them day in, day out, you have a million opportunities to try it a little bit differently each time until you master your technique. And this is the same with every procedure that we're going to go through. Was that tip number two? If it was, then this is tip number three. Don't be scared to remove all the decay. And if the decay is at the pulp, it's at the pulp. Don't be so terrified of pulpal exposures. This is very much a barrier that I'm learning to get over. I feel like we all have this fear of hitting pulp. Whenever we do a deep restoration, we're mentally praying that we don't see red. And we're sitting there changing between our slow speed and our high speed and our probe and again and again and again. And it's half an hour later and we're still there trying to remove the decay as carefully as possible. But I think we need to remind ourselves that if the decay is at the pulp, it is at the pulp. And that is okay. 
I always warn the patient that we never know how deep the decay is until we open it up. And if it's at the pulp, then it may need further treatment. And so the patient knows, and so we shouldn't be so scared if the tooth needs a root canal. Do you want to add orthodontics to your general practice? So many patients today are looking for aesthetic outcomes and and changes, things that we can do with things like aligners and fixed braces that can put the teeth where they need to be so we can be more minimal in what we do to those teeth. I know it's something I wanted to learn and personally I've gone down the path with OrthoEd doing the mini masters. I'm also getting treatment myself. I'm in aligners right now. If you're ready to go all in with orthodontics, you can go and do the mini masters with OrthoEd and Dr. Jeff Hall and at the end you can get a postgraduate diploma. But if you're starting off with smaller steps, they even have some online education including aligners and aligner courses that are standalone. In the COVID environment we're currently in, these courses have remained live and we can then go and do them in person later on. I really appreciate the way they've managed that and I'm still getting tons of value. OrthoEd gives you an understanding from the foundational level. You understand aligners as well as fixed braces, the mechanics and all the things in between. If you're about to start your orthodontic journey, check out dentalheadstart.com slash orthoed to get 10% off their entire range. You might even run into me at one of the courses. I was actually talking to a friend recently and I came to the realization that all throughout our schooling, we've been so conditioned to expect a correct answer for everything that we do. Whenever you sit a test, there's always the right answer. Even when you're seeing patients for the first time, there is always someone to correct you. Oh, the dentine still feels a little leathery there. Or you need to clear your contacts a little bit more. Or your matrix has a little bit of a gap. We've always got that safety net of someone to tell us whether something's correct or not. But when you're working on your own, it's not so black or white. You're there calling the shots yourself. And dentistry is very much a spectrum. Now, our goal, of course, is to deliver the highest quality work we can for our patients and ensure the optimal outcome. But optimal is not always achievable. And oftentimes, we'll land somewhere in the middle. Yes, there may be a little bit of decay left over. And yes, that might be a little bit of marginal leakage. And that may be a little bit of an overhang. We're not going to get it perfect every single time, especially so early on in our career. But the goal is that every time we do it, we get a little bit closer to that optimal outcome. This is where I think the term prolific over perfect is really important. And that's most certainly not to say we should be going out there doing awful dentistry and doing things that are unacceptable. But I say it more so from the perspective that we don't need to beat ourselves up if it's not Instagram perfect. The only way that we will get better is by practicing. And every single time we do it, it will be a little bit better. If anyone's read Atomic Habits by James Clear, one of the stories he tells in that book is of the media professor that gave two separate assignments to half his class, which they had the whole year to complete. One half of the class was told that they had the entire year to just take one perfect photo. Whereas the other half of the class was told to take a photo every single day. It didn't matter how good they were. The point was that they just needed to take a photo every single day. While some may think that the half of the class that had the entire year to perfect that one photo that they were supposed to take, the reality is that the other half of the class that took a photo every single day ended up producing dozens of incredible photos just because they were trialing every single day, learning from their mistakes, making changes, upskilling with every shot that they took. And by the end of the year, they were so much more proficient. 
Tip number four, make rubber dam an essential requirement. Now we all know that in order to do composite restorations, we need adequate moisture control. But I'm sure we have also been told many a times that that's not how real life dentistry works and that oftentimes it's not practical. But I'd like to argue that we should, whenever possible, endeavor to use it because it honestly does make a huge difference, especially when treating a patient when their tongue really wants to figure out what your burr is doing. Now, the first time that I put rubber dam on again in a few months, I think I spent a good five minutes really fumbling with it. But a great tip that one of our senior dentists told me was to place the clamp on the tooth first and then stretching the rubber dam over. Now, this depends on the type of rubber dam that you have available at your practice, but I thought it was a really great simple tip that I was able to try on my very next patient and I'm pleased to say that it's helped me out a lot. Tip number five, don't skimp out on your LA. Now, I think when we first start using LA, we can be very scared of hitting max dose. But if we do some simple math calculations, for 2% lignocaine, one cartridge has 44 milligrams of LA in it. And if max dose is 7 milligrams per kilogram, for a 65 kilo patient, you have 455 milligrams, which is the equivalent of about 10 cartridges of lignocaine. Articaine at 4% is essentially two lignocaine cartridges. So if you need to give your patient two lignocaine or even three or four, you are still fine. Now, of course, we want to be careful when working on the little ones. But as I learned firsthand, trying to take out a baby tooth that had split in half, it would be a lot easier and a lot less distressing for all parties had we done a palatal infill properly as opposed to trying to push through without being numb enough. So don't skimp out on your LA. Tip number six, take OPGs when things don't look right. In just the one month that I've worked so far, I've been surprised by how many children I've seen where their teeth don't seem to be erupting the way that they should be, or that things are asymmetrical, or they're missing some teeth in their mouth. Take your bite wings, and if things don't look right, take an OPG. You'll be surprised to see how many congenitally missing permanents there are, or how many impacted teeth there may be. Tip number seven, utilize your DAs. As a new grad, working with an experienced DA can be the biggest blessing because more often than not, they already know what you're thinking before you do yourself. Four-handed dentistry is an absolute game changer and it saves so much time. And ask your DA nicely to see if they'll help you take some notes because the difference between seeing one patient a day during uni to working in private practice and seeing 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 patients a day and accumulating a huge patient base is that there is a lot of notes to take and a lot of things to remember, not just about the appointment, but about the patient themselves. So always have a little section where you write down a thing or two about things that the patient likes or has shared about themselves so that you remember them the next time they come in. Tip number seven, don't get slack on your medical history. It's very easy that when your patients fill out a medical questionnaire whilst they're sitting in the waiting room, for us to just jump in and want to know all about their teeth. But make a mental note, and this is a reminder to myself as well, to spend a few moments before you bring the patient in from the waiting room or lounge and just have a look at their medical history form. See what medications they're on, if they have any allergies. I've already heard a number of instances from fellow new grads where they've had patients have allergic reactions or bleed excessively or taken sedatives before their appointment. And so medical emergencies do happen in real life. But also... Take note if, if the patient has written anything else on their form because it would be wrong for us to ask them to spend a few moments of their time to fill out a questionnaire but then not to address anything that they've written. For example, if they mention that they have dental anxiety or if they're self-conscious about their teeth. 
Tip number eight, pay attention to the symptoms that your patient presents to you, especially when your patients tell you a really complicated and detailed story about what they've been experiencing and the history of it. It can be a lot to wrap your head around, but repeat after them. And don't get caught up in what you just see clinically. When there's so much going on, I think it's easy for us to develop tunnel vision and forget what the patient initially presented with. I think a great example of this and something I've been caught out on is the cracked tooth, where the patient reports vague symptoms of a toothache, sensitivity, but when you call test it, it responds normally and probing depths are normal and you don't see anything on the surface of the tooth that's raising any alarm bells. You might not have a confident diagnosis. And of course, unless we have a confident diagnosis, we should never go ahead with treatment. But we should never discount, dismiss, or forget what the patient initially presented with. And whilst it might not be obvious right now, the problem may rear its head a little bit more evidently down the line. So keep watch of it. Perhaps even get a second pair of eyes. Because what you may have thought was just a localized perio pocket could be a crack. Whether you're a new grad or an experienced clinician, there comes a point where our passion wanes and we lack direction and motivation for our profession. At some point, we all need a little bit of inspiration, something that helps take us to the next level. Presenting the Dental Summit 2023. Two whole days of incredible lectures from Australia's greatest CPD providers held at the Shangri-La Hotel in Sydney, followed by a cocktail night to remember so you can make those connections and network with like-minded dentists. So, in 2023, invest in yourself. Visit the webpage www.tds23.com to purchase tickets for September 1st and 2nd. And you can use our discount code DHS10 to get 10% off your ticket purchase. Tip number nine, check your occlusion before you restore, especially of a tooth that's had a fracture for a very long time and the opposing tooth has super erupted into that place, it can be easy just to restore the tooth to what the natural anatomy should be like. But the reality is that might not be the actual space that you have to work with anymore. What I found as well is that when patients are numb, it can be difficult for them to tell you whether they're biting normally. But if you check your occlusion before you restore, you can confirm if those marks are the same and always ask them how the side that's not numb feels and you can check if they're biting the same on that side as well. Tip number 10. If you see something questionable on a radiograph or a restoration that's been placed by another clinician, a restoration that appears to have some voids or an inadequate contact, an overhang or something of the sort, I think it's important to have a balance between assessing what's suboptimal and needs to be corrected but also recognising that the previous clinician would have tried their best as well. And that perhaps this tooth was just really difficult to restore perfectly and that you may or may not necessarily get a better outcome. So never throw anyone under the bus and say that's just a horrible restoration because there's probably a good reason why they had difficulty making that look beautiful. Tip number 11. Understand health funds. I probably should have put this tip all the way up at the top. And in fact, I will probably make this as an entire separate episode because if there's one thing that's been a huge learning curve in working private practice, it's understanding the pricing, understanding health funds and understanding how preferred providers work. Because this is an entirely foreign concept to us, having come straight out of dental school and just wrapping your head around item numbers, understanding how CDBS works. 
it can be a lot. So spend some time sitting out front with reception, with your front desk coordinators, have a chat with them and really get familiar with how the finance side of things work for our patients. And tip number 12, and I think I'll leave it at this, is it's okay if you don't know. You can always refer or defer. And defer is probably what I do a lot of the time. I'm always very honest with the patients when something is a tricky situation that I don't necessarily know the answer to at that time. I let them know, Mrs. Jones, this is a really tricky situation, but leave it with me and I'll have a discussion with some of my senior colleagues to determine the best path forward for you. At your next appointment, when we restore that upper tooth for you, we can have a further discussion about the options that you have. I feel like deferring the conversation gives me a great learning opportunity as opposed to referring and potentially never seeing the patient again or finding out the answer to those questions that you have. Now, I think it's really important in the way that you deliver this to the patient, but I feel that every patient that I've had this conversation with so far is usually really receptive and happy and pleased to know that I'm having a discussion with other colleagues about how to provide them the optimal treatment. Ideally, the goal is to have to do this a lot less in the future because I will have the answers But by deferring, you give yourself a reason to go find out those answers to provide to your patient at the next appointment. So all in all, my key takeaways from today is that repetition is key. Experiment with your workflow and keep trying. If the first time doesn't work, try it again. The second time doesn't work, try it in a different way. In just one month, I'm really pleased to say how much more confident I was than when I first started, without realizing those things that gave you anxiety on the very first day become second nature. And bit by bit, you start pushing your boundaries, you try things that are a little bit more complex each time, and you keep growing. It's an exciting time. It is also very, very tiring. Working full-time is an exhaustion that many of us have never experienced before. And socially as well. When you're in a new work environment, you're working with new staff, with DA, with front office, with practice managers, and you're seeing patients one after the other, and you're putting on the biggest smile and your best foot forwards, by the time you hit the end of the day, your social battery will be so drained. And that is okay. It is okay if you just need time to yourself. It's okay if you don't want to do anything this weekend and you are going to bed at 9pm as I did yesterday, that is okay. We are learning, we are getting there, and we will get through it. I'll see you all next month. And for anyone who's stuck around this long to the end, I've just finished editing this episode and it is now 12.30am on Thursday. So good night. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.